based around your one thing, right? Your one zone of genius, your one thing you're really good at, your specialty, whatever it is that you love to do, that you're passionate about, that you're really good at. If we start thinking of that model on how to treat from one to one to one to many, now we're not needing as much of our time to impact more and more people. Should we as rehab professionals have side gigs and side hustles? Does that devalue us? And again, I'm going to make the charge. I'm going to say, if you don't, if you're just the typical clock in, clock out, nine to five therapist, I Mm -hmm. don't know that you're doing enough for your profession, for advocating for yourself, for advocating for your patients, for advocating for your profession. I think if you really want to practice at the top of your license, the only way to do that is to have the most impact you possibly can. And in order to have the most impact, it's going to be a lot more than eight patients a day that you're going to have to reach. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Beyond These Clinic Walls podcast. I'm your host, Julia, a PT turned product professional, joined by my delightful partner in crime co-hosts, Emma. This is my tribe. This is how I think. And Emily. That is the best getting into PT story I've ever heard. Founders of The Clinician Transition. Each episode, we interview former rehab professionals who have leveraged their clinical skills into non-traditional roles. I invite you to come hear the journeys, follow the career paths, and learn about the opportunities beyond these clinic walls. On today's episode of Beyond These Clinic Walls, we are joined by Dr. F. Scott Field. Dr. F. Scott is a husband, a father, a business owner, a physical therapist, a professor, and most recently, an Amazon bestselling author. F. Scott is also a business coach and mentor, despite starting his journey as an English major before ultimately landing as a physical therapist. He is the creator and one of the co-hosts of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, which aims to break down the silos between healthcare professions and tries to find the best practices in teaching and learning throughout healthcare academia. He also hosts the Professors of Profit vlogcast on YouTube and in podcast form. His goal is to help at least 222 professors and clinicians, one from every PT school at the time of publication of his book, pay off their student loans quicker and or more efficiently by using multiple revenue streams found at his website, pteducator.com. And if he helps some others with terminal degrees at other healthcare clinicians along the way, then it's a bonus. We hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did. And as always, happy listening. And we're recording. I feel like that's always the scariest part is just hitting the record button. And then once you get that going, you're ready to rock and roll. Scott, you have a podcast. My first question for you is not what I normally ask my guests, but how do you get your podcast started? Yeah. So I've got two podcasts, right? The first one's the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. And that's all about how healthcare education is a broken system. And I don't know the answer. So I just have the experts on to tell me why they think it's broken and how they would fix it. And that intro is very standard. It's very, hello, everybody. Dr. F. Scott Field here. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare at, yeah, Education Transformation. Just- yeah. Turned on that audio. That was beautiful. (laughs) And uh, the second one is the Professor's Profit podcast, which starts as a vlogcast on YouTube, then goes over to a podcast about a month later. And that one's very similar. I think it goes back to being a, a DJ in college. You know, I was oh, a radio nice. DJ. So, yeah. uh, same thing. Welcome to another episode of the Professors of Profit Vlogcast. I'm your host, <laughs> Dr. F. Scott Field. Welcome to the show, you know. <laughs> so it's just, uh, you know, pretty natural, yeah. I think, at this point. Well, I'm excited to dive into your podcast and learn all about those later. And I think they're going to kind of weave in and out as of the rest of our conversation. But before we get there, can you give us a little background on your clinical history, maybe how you got into clinical work, and then and then take us high level to where you are now in your current role. You have a few different roles. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild, <laughs> crazy ride. It was not a straight and narrow path by any means. I was an English major uh, at Wake Forest there for undergrad. I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. The only reason I was an English major is because my dad was an English teacher, right? He named <laughs> me after F. Scott Fitzgerald, hence the name F. Scott, right? Which is cool. Until you turn 16 and everything's first name, middle initial, and all your legal documents get screwed up. So, thanks for that, dad, you know, but I was good at English. I was good at it, you know, because he taught me and my brother real early to read and write. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I just took a liking to it. So I, I had a bunch of AP credits. I passed out of a bunch of English classes. 
uh, it was easy, but I didn't want to do anything with English. I didn't want to write. I didn't want to edit. I didn't want to teach. I didn't know what I was going to do. So senior year, uh, luckily I was taking golf, bowling and intro to Japan. So I had plenty of free time on my hands, uh, you know, senior year. I, I volunteered at the hospital in between all the partying and the golf and bowling. I, I, I volunteered at the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> and they put me in the PT department and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, they're playing with patients or batting balloons around and like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. That looks fun. It looks like I could do that, you know? Yeah. Then I took a look at the prerequisites and I was like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. Don't have that one. Don't have that one. Nor that one. So I graduated in four years with a BA in English. And then I took a whole nother year at uh, University of Greensboro, uh, all my math and science. Finally applied to PT school two years later, got in. Uh, and then from there, it, it was still a master's program when I when I took it. And so mm -hmm. started the program there. My year was the first year they offered the transitional doctorate if we stuck around for a little bit. So I said, no, oh, it seems like the direction that uh, we're heading. I might as well do it. Mm -hmm. So I, I started there. But then in that year, my dad kind of got sick, had some health problems and ended up uh, passing away. And, right. they, you know, it was at the hospital where I was studying, you know, and working yeah. part time as a PT tech. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had to walk past the room every morning, you know, to clock in and clock out where he passed away. And so like, mm -hmm. that was pretty grueling, you know, it kind of took its yeah. toll on me. And I was like, I don't even know if I want to be a PT anymore. You know, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. after several times of studying for the darn board exam, I finally put on my big boy pants and passed the thing. And, uh, you know, I traveled for about a year just to kind of find myself very, uh, you know, thorough out in the woods by myself doing that whole thing. And then eventually uh, ended up doing some outpatient physical therapy for a couple of years. Kind of jumped around from outpatient clinic to outpatient clinic, just climbing the ladder for bigger salary. And mm -hmm. uh, that got me nowhere real quick. So I figured eventually I'd have to find something I actually truly enjoyed doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I started out leaving the outpatient world uh, when I when I got into workman's comp, that got real boring real quick. It was like FedEx mm. guy hurt his low back. FedEx guy hurt his low back. UPS guy hurt his low back. UPS, you know, same <laughs> thing. Low back, low back, low back. I got good at low right. back. You know, I, I was yeah. able to treat people <laughs> with low back pain real good, but yeah, uh, got real monotonous and real boring. Right. Luckily, while I was doing that, I started the EDD program as well. Finishing up my transitional doctorate at St. Augustine, the head of the EDD program came along and said, hey, are you interested in teaching ever? And I said, no, not really. My dad was a teacher for many years and I sat in on some of his classes and those kids were jerks. I don't want any part of that, <laughs> you know, but he was like, no, it's a little different with adult learning. Like they're paying to be there. They want to learn this. Yeah. They kind of have to pass your classes. So, right. you know, and I was like, all right, well, maybe when I retire, maybe it's a good fallback plan if my hands give out or my back gives out or what I can't do physical therapy anymore. So I, I did the EDD. I started that. I finished that in 2018. While I was doing that, I transitioned out of workman's comp setting and I, I started doing more SNF, more uh, skilled nursing facilities, more home health, my own my own business. Uh, so you've had a, a hand in every, I feel like, realm yeah. of PT. 16 years worth of practice, definitely yeah. seen and done every setting you can imagine, you know, and then COVID hit. And that, mm. you know, totally changed the trajectory <laughs> of everything, which brings us to yeah. today where, you know, the sniff was trying to push us into a COVID only unit. And with my wife being a type one diabetic, I was like, I don't know if I mm. feel comfortable bringing that home to her. She's already immunocompromised. Sure. So I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. And they're like, well, you got to choose. And I said, all right, well, I yeah. guess I'm going to resign then. Same week, the head of the e uh, DPT program at St. Augustine emailed me and said, hey, are you still interested in teaching? And I said, I wasn't. <laughs> But I am now. I am now, yeah. <laughs> so here we are today. I'm teaching full time and uh, building my business on the side. So what classes are you teaching currently? Yeah, so I teach a, a bunch of classes, uh, not by choice. It was more by, you know, what they needed. I teach PTP1, which is like intro to physical therapy, the history and stuff like that. P2 is kind of a, an extension on that. You know, it kind of carries over some of the ethics stuff and the legal stuff and then goes into documentation. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that everybody loves the most about rehab, you know. From, and then, from an English major. Yeah. Any crossover to either documentation or teaching? None whatsoever. None no. Whatsoever. Just I will say this. In the I'll, dust. <laughs> yeah, I'll, so I'll take a step back to the EDD for a minute. I thought I was going to yeah. be a great scientific writer because I was an English mm. major. Yeah, no. Not even close. I had to learn <laughs> scientific writing from scratch. I was awful okay. at it. They said I was too flowery. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to be descriptive. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, yeah. That's not how, how scientific <laughs> writing works, son. 
was, and then I teach patient care management one, which is like okay. transfers and uh, assisted yep. devices and gate mm-hmm. training, stuff like that. I also teach biophysical agents, which is like modalities and stuff. I'll just leave that one alone. Geriatrics. <laughs> uh, geriatrics is my, my bread and butter. That's what I've treated most of my life. That's the population that I work with most closely. And then last but not least, my favorite is the business and admin course. So I get yeah, to sprinkle in some of my real that. life experience. I struggled with with taking on a job, especially at a private university, because it mm. is so expensive, right? Mm-hmm. But I went there, so I know the amount of debt these students are in. I've right. been through the program, both the, the TDPT and the EDD through St. Augustine. So I have my own yeah. student loan debt. I know exactly what they're coming out with. It's not, not right. fun, right? No. So the only way I could kind of justify that and like feel okay about going into that school and teaching there was if I could weave in some of the things I was doing on the side to help combat these student loans. What is EDDD? Yeah, sure. So in order to teach in a physical therapy program, you've got to have at least a DPT, a doctor of physical therapy, right? However, CAPTI, our governing body of all things physical therapy, says we want at least 50% of your faculty to have a terminal degree. Well, that usually means a PhD, an EDD, which is an educational doctorate, a DSC, which is a doc sci, a doctor of science, and then a DHSC, which is a doctor of health science, maybe something like that. So there's like four or five terminal degrees that you can end up with and teach, you know, full time for a DPT program. And EDD is just the one that I went into, which I'd love to say I had the foresight to say if everything falls off and, and physical therapy crashes and burns into you know the ground and becomes nothing, I can still teach education, general education, right? I could teach K through twelve. I could teach mm. uh, you know education at a at a graduate level. Uh, so I'd love to say that I, that's what I was thinking when I went for the EDD, but it's not. It was just quickest and cheapest. So <laughs> a follow up with that, I was always under the impression that to teach you how to go PhD. So PhD versus EDD, PhD, you're doing a dissertation, EDD, are you required to do anything? Yeah, you still have to do a dissertation. It's just a little bit different, right? So the PhD, okay. you usually have, uh, you know, it's it's a, uh, what is it, a philosophical doctorate or doctor of mm-hmm. philosophy in mm-hmm. whatever your major yeah. topic is, right? Right. Uh, the doctor of education is obviously a doctorate in education. So it's a lot more of, of teaching, learning, curriculum okay. development, pedagogy, uh, yep. theory. There's a lot of theory. And the mm. cool thing with an EDD is your dissertation takes a look at something theoretical in the learning space. So for me, oh, my dissertation cool. was on uh, service-based learning. I think that uh, oh, cool. you know, yeah, community service is a great fit for physical therapy. So I could teach yeah. about the Berg balance scale in the classroom on a PowerPoint, or we could right. go into the community and do a balance and fall screen help out yeah. the community and the elderly, and I could teach you the Berg balance scale. So like, yeah, love know, it. why aren't we doing more of that? And uh, that was basically my dissertation kind of looked at the attitude of faculty towards service-based learning. And uh, it was all very positive, which then led me to the unfortunate question of, okay, then why are only 50% of the schools in the nation doing it? Mm. So that's my next next. I was going to say, do you have anything to answer that question? No, no, no. no. That's no. research agenda <laughs> stuff. You know, yeah. what, what the research agenda? I don't know. I got to dive deeper and ask more questions. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like that answer summed up your attitude towards a lot of things. Where instead of just taking something as it was, you figured out a way to branch it out and hit multiple birds with one singular stone. Tell us a little bit about all the other ways you branch out, and maybe this is going to tie into your podcast, Professors of Profit, a little bit, and then even branching out further towards how PTs, but rehab science individuals, everyone can kind of diversify their income and turn their side hustle into to something real. Yeah, so not I, that I, it's not real. Right, right. No, <laughs> Correct right, me exactly. on my no, verbiage on that I, too. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> guilty of myself. I, I call it a side hustle and a side gig when in reality, yeah. it's, it really should just be your business or your side business, whatever you want to call it, right? But I, I'm a firm believer that we could, as healthcare pr- practitioners, any of us, nurses, doctors, dentists, OTs, PTs, lawyers, et cetera, et cetera you know, anybody in the medical you know, field, I guess not lawyers, unless they're medical lawyers, but anybody <laughs> in the medical field that we deal with treats patients for the most part, right? Patient care is our main exchange of service, right? And you can see one-on-one you know, you can see one patient at a time and, and, you know, for doctors, maybe that's eight minutes a piece for PTs, OTs, maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's 60 minutes, right? 
And that's great. So throughout the course of the day, you have X amount of patients that you can treat and help, right? And that's, that's, you know, you're having to be there. You're having to trade time for money. You're having to be present to do that. Well, my argument is, okay, if we truly want to have a much bigger impact and practice at the top of our license, no matter what license that is, we need to be making more impact and, and treating more people. Well, I'm only one person. I can only treat so many hours of the day, right? No matter how many patients they want to throw in my schedule, at some point I'm going to burn out. I'm going to tap out and say, physically, this is all I can do. I can only write so many notes. I'm tapped out. I'm done. This is the mm-hmm. max. Okay? Well, what if we were to start having a bigger impact instead of treating one-on-one, we started a one-to-many model where we write a book about what we specialize in to help more people. We create a course online that people can take, the general public can take so that they're better educated and can, you know, hopefully have some effect on on their, their life, right? What if we were to do speaking gigs or seminars where we speak to, you know, hundreds or, or thousands at a time, right? If we start thinking of that model on how to treat from one to one to one to many, now we're not needing as much of our time to impact more and more people. Mm-hmm. And that to me is where this kind of whole, this idea started of like having like multiple revenue streams or stream, you know, different layers of income based around your one thing, right? Your one zone of genius, your one thing you're really good at, your specialty, whatever it is that you love to do, that you're passionate about, that you're really good at. But if we can make a bigger impact, then it becomes easier for us to A, make more money, B, have more time. That's really the key, right? Is the time. I want to be able to do what I want to do, when I want to do, how I want to do it. In order to do that, I need more money. And once I have that money, I can choose to treat as much or as little as I want. I can choose to treat people pro bono if I want. I can choose to, you know, take a week off and and not worry about things and come back whenever I want, you know, like that time freedom comes with money freedom, but the money freedom has to come from something that you create. Because yeah. at the end of the day, a job is going to have a ceiling. No matter how good that ceiling is, there's still a limited ceiling to that job. They can only pay you so much. You can only generate so much income. At some point, you have to do your own thing to, to remove that ceiling and to generate more, more revenue. What do you say to someone who comes up to you and says, Scott, what's my zone of genius? How do I find my zone of genius? Yeah, there's a couple of easy exercises you can start doing to kind of figure that out. You know, and I take a lot of my mentees and students through this. The the first one is, okay, what are people always coming to you for and asking? Because they know you're the expert or they know you know, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know everything. I definitely am usually not the smartest person in the room and I'm okay with that. Right. If you're if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right. (laughs) So I'm okay with with not knowing everything. But what I do know, especially from the network I've grown with my podcasting, is I know somebody to go to. Right. I know the person to send you to. I know the person to Mm. ask if I don't know. Right. If you tell me, hey, I'm super into cheerleading and I I really want to treat cheerleaders and that's it. Great. More power to you. All in. I don't know anything about cheerleading. I can't tell you (laughs) the injuries that occur, the lifts, the throws, the catches, whatever, the moves. I don't know any of that. So I can send (laughs) you to a couple people that do it. I know people that treat just cheerleaders, so I can send you to them, but I'm not your guy. Right. Right. So the one thing that people come to you and ask you all the time, hey, what is what is this? What is that? I know you know about this. Hey, you treat this all the time, right? So Mm -hmm. friends and family come to you and ask about that stuff a lot. That's usually a good sign that you're you're moving in the right direction, heading toward that zone of genius, right? The other thing too is it's it should be something that you love and that you're passionate about, right? Mm. I could be really, really good at treating shoulders, but if I just but don't like it, yeah, about and I'm it. not passionate about it. Why, mm-hmm. I don't really want to treat shoulders. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm good at it, but like it doesn't mean I have to go do it all day every day if it's going to burn me out, right? So it mm-hmm. should be something that you truly love and are passionate about, whether that be a population of patients or a specific diagnosis. You know, I've I've uh, worked with a lot of people that work specifically with Parkinson's, right? There's a, a gentleman up in Dallas that does the rock and jock boxing or whatever for, for <laughs> Parkinson's, it. right? Yeah. They they just have so many op- ideas and outlets for Parkinson's patients and that's all he treats and that's all he does. And that's his passion. That's what he loves. So everything he does is centered around Parkinson's, right? The last part of the puzzle is, okay, you have found what you're really good at. It's also something that overlaps with what you're passionate about, right? I think it's called what? Ikigai? Is that the the Japanese term for like the four circles that kind of 
uh, overlap each other. It's like um, whatever the public will pay for, uh, what you love, uh, what yeah, you're good at. yeah, mm-hmm. and then um, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget it's what like a mega Venn diagram. But exactly. Yeah. Yep. But mm-hmm. but the center circle is the overlap of all four of those, right? So right. the last piece of the puzzle is, or what problem can you solve with your knowledge or your passion or your love, and and then will the public pay for that? Right? Is that population right. in need of that? So if, yeah. if those four overlap, then boom, you've got your your zone of genius. You've got your thing that you can start focusing on and leaning on and going all in yeah. on. I have a follow-up question that's a little existential, depending on yeah. how how we want to go into this, <laughs> the root of today's podcast. But something that was challenging for me was to, a lot of people said I was good at something. I get patient feedback that I'm good at something, but it's not what I love. So when you find something that you're passionate about, you personally, how did you know you're passionate about it? We were talking, I know I use this example a lot, first episode, Stephen Suval, he says, I, I got into my flow state. As soon as I started coding, I was just in a different zone. I lost track of time. This is how I knew it. For you, for Scott, how did you know that this was something that you were passionate about? Yeah, I mean, for me, if I really go back and look at my very first, I guess I'll call it a a vision board or a business plan, uh, maybe a combination of the two, it was a large piece of paper that I ripped off of my daughter's art easel and stuck on the wall. <laughs> and it had like uh, three corners to it. And it, one of them was like PT educator. It was an online education thing. One of them was a mobile physical therapy business. And the third one was uh, general health and wellness education, right? Mm. But two out of the three, and really the patient education is a, is a big part of pa- treating patients. So really all three had an education component to it. And again, I didn't, I wasn't a great student. I was always a straight B student, a couple C's sprinkled in there, right? Maybe a D in ordinary <laughs> differential equations, but we won't talk about that. So, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for me to, to just like get by. I had to study really hard to, to get yeah. E's and stuff. And so I just found out recently that I, w- I was diagnosed with ADHD, which makes a lot of sense now. I wish I had gotten tested when I was younger, would have made things a lot easier, but that being said, I think it's important that you you can see from a 30,000 foot view the thing that gets you excited in the morning, right? The thing that gets you up and out of bed and really, really pumped up, right? And for me, mm-hmm. it was it was education. I didn't mm-hmm. know I was a terrible learner until I got into an <laughs> EDD program, right? Right. I was yeah. a straight rote memorization guy. Just read mm-hmm. it, read it, read it, highlight it, highlight it till I got it. And right. I, I, that's how I got by. And I realized yeah. now that wasn't learning. That was just memory, yeah. which is yeah. very low on the, on the scale of, of <laughs> a- active learning. So uh, once I started to see yeah. how we learn and the theory behind how we learn and then how we should teach to that learning through the EDD mm. program, mm-hmm. then the education thing really started coming around. Because again, remember, I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to teach and educate. I saw my dad do it for 30 yeah. years. And I was like, man, You're this like, guy's no. really good at Uh-oh. it. I couldn't do yeah. it. You know, my dad is very creative too with his profession. And I was always like, not going to do that. Not going to do that. And now I'm finding all of my side things and interests are coming right back to like create, like flexing that creative muscle. And I'm like, oh gosh, (laughs) dang it, dad, right back here. (laughs) You have all these poles of education and you just talked about it right now, how education has kind of been there the whole time, almost like a romantic comedy for you, where you're like, it's the friend all along. That was education for you. How are you now tying in and changing, or maybe how has your perception of education changed and how are you using that in what you're currently doing, both in the medium of your podcast and with teaching at a university level? Yeah. So it's pretty funny when we started out the podcast, it's uh, six or seven seasons deep now, right? If you listen to the first season or two, I'm very anti-education. I'm, I'm in the middle of an EDD. I don't know why. I, I don't know what's going on here, but I, I'm just going to finish it out. And maybe when I retire, like I said, I'll, I'll yeah. teach a class or two, like, you know, somewhere by the beach or something at a community college, right? But <laughs> my co-host was very pro-education and academia and wanted to get into it. Now we flip-flopped. He's out. He doesn't wow. even want to do it anymore. So he's left the show. And now I'm running full on. Sure. I think the thing that kind of really tied it all together was uh, when I realized that I could leverage my education and my experience and the the credentials, the letters after my name 
to start any business I wanted, literally anything I wanted, right? And so mm. I used my curriculum development to help healthcare professionals create their own online courses, right? I helped teach and educate people who were in pretty large amounts of student loan debt on how to start, you know, their business so that they could pay down their student loans and get out of it. You know, I, I started helping uh, educate people on copywriting and, and how to write copy for SEO, search engine optimization, and for healthcare websites that needed to boost up their search engine optimization and blogging, right? Their own blogs. We can write, we can do that. As healthcare professionals, we know more than 94, 95% of the general population. So it just makes sense for us to, you know, use our knowledge in a, in a good way. So teaching and educating on the things that I loved and that I was passionate about, I could do that all day, every day. That being said, my nine to five is teaching full-time, right? For a DPT mm -hmm. program and, and, and teaching physical right. therapy while I still love it. It's definitely not as free flowing and easy as the stuff I love to teach. Cause there's you know, things we have to teach. There's, there's things we have to, to get across for the NPTE exam, right? The board exam and, mm -hmm. and there's politics and there's red tape and there's things you have to do that go along with a job, you know? And so it's a little more limiting uh, to me in academia, but at the same time, it's, it's a great gig because I'm still teaching and educating, which I love. Right. And, and the big thing for me nowadays, again, my wife's a type one diabetic and a stay at home mom. So I carry the benefits for us which is why, you know, my side business will always be probably a side business, right? I can mm, grow and mm -hmm. scale it as long as, as I can, but I'm a one, maybe a one and a half man show. If, you know, my wife comes on and helps with some of the bookkeeping and social media stuff, but you know, I, I we need the benefits and not just any benefits. We need good medical benefits. And luckily right. the, the university affords me that. And so, so you're going to, you know, pay me a good salary and give me great medical benefits to come in and teach and educate. Sure. Sign me up. I'll do that for a <laughs> nine to five, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I still love teaching and educating. Uh, I just like it when I can do whatever I want though. You know, I, I like the freedom of education. So it's under the, the healthcare and business education umbrella, which again is still kind of my zone of genius, I think. And that's, you know, been good to me for the years. So I, I have no complaints. Something that we run into a lot over at TCT is the whole benefits thing. And that can sometimes make people really fearful of making mm. a career trans. I know I left the, they call it the golden handcuffs. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So I was curious if you have, Ooh, what's that mean? I've had, I haven't heard that. I can the, assume based on context clues, but <laughs> the company I worked for previously was known. It has the best benefits, you know, incredible benefits. So that's mm. how they keep you. Uh, so it's very hard to leave that. So just kind of curious what you coach people on that, Scott. I know side hustle is an easy way, but it still doesn't necessarily have the benefits associated with it. Right. So again, I keep a nine to five because of those benefits, right? If my wife was working full time, I'd probably try to get on her benefits and do my thing full time. Mm -hmm. But we decided kind of early on that she was going to stay home and raise the kids because if she had gotten a job, it probably would have been enough to cover the daycare. And it's like, yeah, I'd rather you just stay at home with them and raise them as opposed to sending them to daycare and letting someone else raise them. So luckily, like I said, the salary of uh, a professor is pretty good at uh, University of St. Augustine there where I teach. Uh, the benefits are great, the best we've ever had. Uh, so that that takes care of that. Now the side business thing just adds to that, right? I, I can grow that as big as I want, like I said, or as big as I can scale it you know, to a two man team. But with the benefits package, there's a couple ways to look at it. If you're young, single, unattached, pretty healthy, you can start your own business and purchase your own healthcare benefits. That's available to you. That's an option. And there's a lot of really good people out there that just focus in finding you the best possible uh, plan for you. And you're, and that's the thing. It's going to be different for everybody, right? If again, the problem becomes we we've researched this for two or three years now, trying to find a a plan or a package that I could purchase as an entrepreneur, solo entrepreneur, to cover me and my whole family, and they would always cover me and the kids. But with my wife being a type one, they considered that a pre-existing condition and would not take her on. They they said she'd have to probably go like Medicare or Obamacare or whatever, and I was or Medicaid or Obamacare, and I was like. I don't know if you've tried to get diabetic stuff through that, but it just doesn't cut it. It's not enough. It doesn't right. work. You know, so we've been trying for years. And if somebody uh, finds a plan that, that works, uh, you know, very well for type one diabetics who uh, either own a business or, or, or underneath a, a business package, I'd love to love to hear. Please yeah. reach out to me and let me know. But 
That so, might be so, someone's zone of genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to hear that. But in the meantime, I have to play the game, right? I know my rules of engagement. I know my field, my playing field. And it is a nine to five with good benefits, trying to minimize the amount of hours I work for them and maximize the bang for my buck in the in the benefits package. So for the last five years, I was searching, instead of trying to climb that that ladder for you know salary increases, I was instead trying to find the best benefits package I could. And that's when, like I said, luckily and unluckily for me, I was working about 80 hours on three different, two jobs in a business and COVID hit and that stopped everything short. And it was almost like a great reset for me. And then I was able to really sit down and and look at three or four different options and what their benefits packages were. And the university offered the best benefits package. And I had a leg up because I had a terminal degree. So they, Mm -hmm. and I I happened to be, you know, working in the, settings that they needed help with. So it worked out. But again, the benefits question is going to be a very personal one. And the first thing I always ask people is, well, does your spouse carry benefits? Are you able to get on their benefits package? Because if so, it could be worth it to just, you know, start your own gig and grow it and that be a full-time business while you're under your spouse's benefits package. If you're by yourself, like I said, you could, you know, own your own business and do your own thing, but you'd have to purchase your own and that can, you know, if you're young and healthy, you could just get the bare minimum HSA card or something like that, right? A health savings account and then kind of grow your business and whatever happens, happens. And you buy more and more and more insurance as you go. And as you get older, that's a possibility as well. But again, it's a very individual question, but also there are options. You just need to know that they exist. I have, I was on my phone and it was because I had a listener, not currently, but at some time, they were asking a few questions that aligned almost perfectly with some of the stuff that we already talked about. Their first one, and this is where I said, we do have a guest coming up that's going to talk all about side hustles and other opportunities. But their questions was, were there side hustles and other opportunities to make ends meet while they went through the grind? And then they asked, so two more personal follow-up questions. One was, how was home life affected? And then um, they were curious of if you have any guests coming on with ADHD. And this individual also does and is interested in hearing the success stories of others and how they manage that. So two more personal questions for you. Welcome to dive into them as much as you're comfortable. Yeah. Like I said, I'm a pretty open book. So uh, the ADHD thing makes a lot more sense now. I was, again, very, not hyper, but I was always very active. I was always, you know, in the play. I was uh, on the football team, the golf team, the student union president, art club, choir. I was, I did it all, right? I was a jack of all trades. I was always getting my hands into things. And I thought a lot of it was just kind of work ethic. I thought it was just me really Mm -hmm. working hard and trying to do the right things because my parents did. My parents were, same thing, right? President of the Friends of the Arts, uh, president of the Booster Club helped out with the grounds crew, umpire games, right? Little league coaches. They did. I mean, they did it all, you know? And so I just mm-hmm. kind of thought that's what you did, you know, I was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. you just do everything. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I think a little bit of it was again, the scattered brainness of me just kind of not knowing how to slow down and focus a little bit. And then again, I got to my board exam, right. And that took me a handful of times to pass. I thought part of it was because I had a learning disability of some sort. I knew it wasn't dyslexia. I thought maybe it was a reading comprehension thing or something like that, but I don't know, sheer grit and tenacity. I have a pretty high grit score. And so I think that that helped. And then the dissertation, same thing. I, my Mm -hmm. first IRB got rejected completely. So that was a whole semester down Mm -hmm. the drain. Uh, mm-hmm. The only reason I passed it was because they kind of dragged me across the finish line, kicking and screaming, you know, and I eventually got my stuff together enough to write the final chapter and 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 defend my dissertation, which was nice. And now they can't take it away from me. So, ha ha, suck it. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, I, you know, I almost think at, at some point, like, it, and now having been diagnosed, I've been able to uh, get on yeah. vacation for it. And it is like night and day. I mean, I, really? I have six hours of solid focus, laser-like focus mm-hmm. intensity every day. And oh, it's, wow. it's amazing. Sounds really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of parallels in my life. That sounds very similar to yours and kind of this scattered brain attributing it to work ethic thing where to a certain point I had to be like, I can do anything, but can I do everything? Yeah. And trying to understand where that is crossed 
off. So I am not diagnosed and I cannot speak upon that at all until I am, but I do have a lot of related things that make sense that I'd I'd be curious to find out. It's definitely worth it to get tested. I will say it's difficult to get tested. It's expensive. It's hard to find somebody who's doing it all the time. It's, you know, it's tough. So I recommend if you can. You hear that? But it's not easy. listening, get into testing for it. Yeah, that's that exactly. That's a, if you, if you can be that person, do it because it it would make uh, a ton of money and you'd help a lot of people. Yeah, make OT or speech. That seems like up someone's alley. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Good parallel there, Emma. I'll take um, royalties. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, hit me up. <laughs> Maybe now in retrospect, being able to, I don't want to like say struggle with learning in the past, but having it be so much more challenging. Do you think that helped you be a better learner when you realized what was setting you back or like even a better teacher? Did your because for me, I know that I don't learn the normal way and I have a bunch of techniques to help me, but I think that's what makes me a really good teacher. And like I rely on like making analogies and like humor, and that's how I relay information back to people. So I'm good at teaching because I'm a not great learner. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I would say definitely a better teacher for sure. Mm -hmm. Pretty good storyteller. I think a lot of that came from my upbringing in New York, right? And just always being involved in stuff, especially the theater. I think that storytelling analogies, like making those links and connections definitely can help uh, from a learning standpoint for me, which now a teaching standpoint as well. Uh, I have no idea in retrospect if it made me a better learner uh, knowing Mm -hmm. what I know now. I'm not sure. But I will say that, you know, from a big picture standpoint, I've been able to teach better and more passionately because I've kind of recognized, you know, that, Hey, not everybody learns the same. I'm one Mm -hmm. of those people. I wish that people had taught me this way. So here's four or five different ways. If it's, if it's not one of those five, I I can't help you. That's all I got. You know, Yeah. Uh, these are the ways I know to teach. I've tried everything. At some point it, it, it has to come back to the learner and they have to figure it out for themselves and what yeah. works for them. And I think that's what eventually got me through the NPTE was just finding my own way. Uh, right. However many times it took. Right. But, uh, you know, as far as like from a success standpoint, I think, you know, the, the home life was definitely tough. It was bad mm. when it was pre COVID. Cause again, it was, I was working 32 hours at, at a sniff. I was working another 20 at a, at a home health agency, and then mm-hmm. I was weaving in my own cash pay mobile PT patients amongst yeah, them as well. So it was like eight lot. hours a week. And 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 again, I was open and honest with with my wife. And I said, this isn't sustainable. The money's yeah. good right now. And that's great. And we're, we're taking care of things and we're getting things checked off. But at the same time, it's not sustainable. We both know that. So yeah. something's going to have to give. We're going to have to figure something out here. And then COVID hit. And like I said, that... That opened the doors for a nice little reset yeah. for me. And now, I was like a, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I teach from home 90% of the time, which is nice. Mm-hmm. I have to go up for labs every other weekend or so. The flex, yeah. flex program is great. It's very flexible, hence the name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just a really good fit for me. And it took me 10, 15 years to find that perfect fit. Uh, right. You know, but, but I think the, the, I almost think the ADHD kind of helps, especially when starting a business, because it is hard to turn it off. Sometimes it is constantly going right. It's it's that entrepreneurial mindset where like it's go 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 go, and you, you can't shut it off. Yeah. Sometimes. So yeah, you know, I I think that's part of the reason I've been you know relatively successful with my side business mm-hmm. because you know it, it's one of those things where I just don't stop and and yeah. and that compare you know uh, if you. If you add that in with the grit and tenacity and and the stick itiveness, I like to call it, right? That's that's a English word, right? I just made that up. Yes, <laughs> it is now. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, you know, all of that's going to give me the drive I need to succeed. I know that, and I'll just keep kind of going uh, as long as I can keep that open line of conversation and communication with my spouse. Then, then you know, mm-hmm. and that's been hard. Yeah. That's been tough. It's not easy. But I'm not. I'm yeah. not working eighty hours a week anymore. Right. I'm right. down to like the nice Goldilocks zone of like the 32 hours that the university requires of me. Yeah. 10 to 15 medium. mine. <laughs> and, and we're right. doing very well. So yeah. it took a while to get here. It wasn't all rainbows right. and unicorns, but you know, now, <laughs> now that we're on yeah. the other side of things, it's, it's getting there much, are some unicorns. <laughs> very cool. Emma, anything to add before I switch topics? I have my hot take. It's not my hot take, but I was thinking it could be a hot take. So talking about 
diversifying your effect, talking about having a side hustle, expanding your reach. I think some feedback we might get is that if we want to continue to elevate the profession, does having a side hustle set us back? Should we as rehab professionals have side gigs and side hustles? Does that devalue us? And again, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make the charge. I'm going to say, if you don't, if you're just the typical clock in, clock out, nine to five therapist, I Mm -hmm. don't know that you're doing enough for your profession, for advocating for yourself, for advocating for your patients, for advocating for your profession. I think if you really want to practice at the top of your license, the only way to do that is to have the most impact you possibly can. And in order to have the most impact, it's going to be a lot more than eight patients a day that you're going to have to reach. You know, so in order to do that, share your knowledge, write a book, create a course, right? Write articles in the newspaper, write articles for magazines, you know, go, go on interviews, do speeches, do, do something, right? Just show that you've got a pulse, get out there, you know, do do (laughs) something that's going to elevate you. That's going to push you maybe a little bit out of your comfort zone, right? That's going to push your profession. That's going to, we're running four ads this month in uh, the New York times, the APTA is trying to get people uh, more aware of what physical therapists do, right? Which has been a huge problem for many years. A lot of people don't know what physical therapists do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it even matters. Like, are you mm. the solution to a problem? Can you get somebody better? Can you be the answer to the question? If so, oh, by the way, I'm also a physical therapist can be a fine afterthought, but like you have to show the general public that you care about them and that you're their solution. Whether you're Mm. a PT or an OT or doc or whatever you may be, whatever your credentials are, I think it just doesn't matter. The public just wants to know, can you solve my problem? Can you get rid of my pain? Can you help me lift my grandkids up without trouble? Can you make my knee stop hurting while I play golf? Whatever it may be. You know, if, if we can properly demonstrate to them that we are that solution, then I, you know, I don't know that the ads in the New York times really matter. Agree with that. And the whole point is diversifying your income. And when COVID hit, if our profession, it wouldn't have been a big deal for a lot of people getting laid off. So multiple streams of income is an incredibly good idea if you can pull it off and it's not that hard. You can do it. That's something that drives me crazy a little bit. I think sometimes people will come to TCT and are like, I'm out. I don't do any, just get me anything. I want a remote yeah. job, sit from home, never see a patient again. Yeah. And the first question we ask is, well, do you like seeing patients or is it all the other crap? And if, if it's the answer is you still like seeing patients, you should start up your own business. It's not that hard. You, It's hard, but it's so more doable than you think it is, especially with people like Scott who can help you do it. Well, and if I can do it, anybody can, right? I mean, again, straight B student, ADHD, like English major turned PT, like not, I I don't have it all together. And if I can get, you know, a business up and running and make it fairly successful, I promise anybody can do it. Right. But Emma, you hit a, you hit a great point. You know, when you said like, look, like multiple revenue streams should be important. It can become important. And and I think that the pandemic was a, a great, sign of like, hey, we thought we were bulletproof. We thought we were literally unstoppable as as people in the rehab profession, right? Like, oh, we'll always have a job. We'll be fine. Well, people got laid off. People got furloughed, you know, all these things happened and people got burnt out. People got, you know, COVID and just got over it. And they're like, I'm done with this. I'm not going back. Right. Well, if you had three or four different other revenue streams to rely on, some of which are relatively passive. I don't like the term passive income because there's always a lot of front end work that goes to that. But like writing a book, for instance, right? If you write a book and you sell it on Amazon, that just sells as, you know, while you're asleep, while you're at work, while you're doing other things, people buy the book at points, right? I mean, there's marketing plans you have to put behind it sometimes and there's ways to get more sales and there's lulls for sure. But if I can make an extra 50 to a hundred bucks a month on a book that I've written once and I'm done with, well, that's great. You know? And I I think, you know, people need to realize that not only are you diversifying your income and your revenue streams, but you're diversifying yourself and your skill sets for possible other jobs in the future. If you're looking to not start a business, even if you want to just go work somewhere else and you have these eight different skill sets, you can like skyrocket yourself above the rest of the competition because most of them are just Mm -hmm. like, oh, I graduated. Oh, I got a license. (laughs) 
okay, yeah. what else you got? I need this. So do the mm-hmm. other people. Well, you know, I know a little bit of digital marketing. I know how to run Facebook ads and Google ads, which is always helpful for a clinic. Um, I've written a book. Uh, so, you know, I, I know how to kind of write and publish books. I do a lot of social media. So I do a lot of community outreach, you know, and again, all these things start adding up to an employer and they're thinking, man, we don't do any of that. We could really use it. Could you do that for us? Can you show us how to, yeah, absolutely. You know? And so now you're, you're, you're diversifying your, your skill set and your own career as well. Scott, I wanted to say if there was someone who wanted to read a book on Amazon about multiple revenue streams for healthcare clinicians and academic, I don't even know how to say that word. Academic. Academicians. Yeah. The academicians. It's, it's a mouthful. <laughs> where, where is that your book? Where tell us more? <laughs> it, it is. Good news is the the second edition is coming out. And it's much easier to say. It's just been shortened to PT Educator Student Debt Eliminator. So it's a nice little rhyme. Love it. Yeah. For those of you <laughs> other English majors out there that are really into uh, you know rhyming and alliteration, it's an iambic pentameter. I'm the a, whole I'm thing. A, yeah. I'm a big. <laughs> I'm a big fan of alliteration. So. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it, it basically, uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, like I said, second edition's coming out at year's end. It is available in softcover and uh, the Kindle version. Uh, and it's the first of a series of five books that I have coming out. So they'll probably be about one a year awesome. yeah, for the next four years. Um, and, and, cool. and, and they're just deeper dives into different revenue streams and things, you know, whether it be podcasting or copywriting or we have, uh, you know, one that I'm really interested in moving forward from the healthcare education transformation podcast is all on leadership in healthcare. So I'm excited for that one. That's a group book. Um, but yeah, Very you know, cool. that, that, that leadership book actually is going to lead to more speaking gigs too. So it's like, you know, these things all just start feeding into themselves and people don't realize that like this didn't happen overnight. I don't want to tell anybody you can just start tomorrow and be a success. Like that's not how it works, right? This mm-hmm. is five, six years in the making. And it's been a lot of hard work and it's been a lot of ups and downs. I wasn't even profitable my first two years. You know, it took me my third year to finally make profit. And then fourth year we doubled and fifth year we did even more than that. So, you know, if things are rolling now, we're cooking, but at the same time, it took a lot of hard work, it took a lot of effort. And it, it, it's, again, to me, it's worth it because when I get up every morning and my feet hit the ground, I am excited. I'm pumped to go about my day because I know I have a lot of education ahead of me and it's going to be fun. It's stuff that I love. Two things also that I wanted to share as part of your show and tell. So one, you've provided, and I'll put the link in this episode and on all of our media too, but the podcasting for profits professional presentation. How's that for alliteration? Yeah. At the APTA combined sections meeting. Can you give us just like a little snippet of what that in- includes? So it's your lecture and it's on our YouTube. And what does that lecture have? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a pretty good presentation on, uh, again, not the first thing that you should do for a podcast. You don't want to, you know, try to make profits right off the bat. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> uh, but once you kind of get into the flow and you start your podcast, right, the first reason you should do a podcast really is to educate and help people, right, to, to kind of inform them about the thing that you love talking about or that you're interested in, right? You don't even have to be the expert. I wasn't, right? We get the experts on, have them talk about it. But once you start getting a flow, once you start getting an audience, once you really hone in on on those people, your avatar, your perfect client or, or listener, right, then you can kind of start thinking about, okay, what would make a lot of sense for them? What would be beneficial to them to know that exists, right? And for us, it was, you know, uh, an NPTE review course, because most of our audience is either students about to take the NPTE or professors that teach to those students who are about to take the NPTE. So knowing that there's a review course out there uh, makes a lot of sense, right? So we're able to get our podcast sponsored. Uh, Once you get it sponsored, there's also affiliate deals you can do where you kind of have products and things that give you a code and all the sales that you make, you get a percentage based on them using your code. And then there's also local ways to, to monetize your podcast too, right? You can have people in the community. If you do a clinical podcast, like for me, if I was to do one here in Wimberley where I live, it would be, you know, wellness and Wimberley podcast. And I would interview all the local providers, the healthcare providers in the area. And I would probably have the local pharmacy guy be the sponsor. They'd come on, they would do an episode. And then eventually they would say, Hey, uh, you know, these are the services we offer. Oh, great. I have patients. I think I could send your way. Would you be interested in that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Send them my way. Great. Oh, by the way, I'm a physical therapist. I think I could maybe help some of your patients too. If you ever have any that need help, please send them my way. So now you've opened that referral street as well. And you don't have to go buy the docs in the front desk ladies lunch, right? You can just have that conversation. (laughs) 
So, you know, podcasting has several ways to, to monetize it. And that's kind of what I talked about at the, at the national conference. Thing. I love it. Yeah, it was I awesome. Love it. And then if podcasting isn't your thing, you've also given us this awesome uh, PDF to share with our listeners. It's the PT educators revenue idea generator, which sounds very cool. And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's a list of a hundred side hustles, side gigs, or side businesses that healthcare providers should consider. Not all of them at once. That that would be a lot. <laughs> but uh, it's just ideas to get your mind flowing and thinking about different jobs that are out there. And the ironically enough, the professors of profit podcast and vlogcast, which is found on YouTube there, is one episode a week interviewing somebody who's doing a side gig from the list of 100. So we're about to finish our first season, which is the first 50. The second 50 will be the second season there. And then after that 100, it's going to be a wide open uh, you know, door. <laughs> Anybody can come on and talk about any of their side gigs and side hustles after that. But we're trying to get through the first 100 that are on the list. So if you're interested in any of those side gigs or side hustles that are on the list, please feel free to listen into the YouTube channel there that's got all the episodes. And then the podcast has about uh, 20 or 30 of the episodes. So that's catching up. It's not an end all be all, but it's a list to get at least right. the, the mind flowing and thinking yeah, about ideas. Exactly. And even to just kind of reiterate, you almost gave us like a little bit of an equation from the beginning where it was find your passion and then pick a medium. And then go for it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's that's it. You, literally, you you just yeah. made it as simple as possible, right? Find your zone yeah. of genius, right? Find that one thing you're really good at that you love, that you're passionate about, right? Find the medium that, that best works for you, whether it be written or audio or video or hands-on type patient care or a combination like a, I did all four, right? Little by little, but I did all four. And then the last is just implement. Go out and do. You can consume all the content in the world. It's not going to get you anywhere. You need mm -hmm. to know a couple little things here and there. You need to learn from people who've done it already, right? You need to pay mentors and learn, speed up your timeline for sure. But you've got to take action. If you're not, if you're not actually doing the work, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just not going to move forward. You're not going to progress. You're going to be stuck in that same place a year from now wondering, oh, why didn't I do that? I wish I had done that, right? Because at the end of the day, right, imperfect action beats perfect inaction 100% of the time. And if you're not doing you're just, you're not moving forward. You're not progressing. Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. You've given us so much and I hope people listen to this and are inspired to explore other revenue streams. I'm looking at the list here and some of them are super doable, like post trivia night once a week. Sounds kind of fun. Uh, anyways, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, is there anything anyone that Jules or I or anyone listening could do in return? Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you, anybody tunes into the podcast, we, you know, would love ratings and reviews on, on the podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts, what you want to hear about. Uh, and then the YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash PT educator. You could subscribe to that same thing. Give us feedback. Let us know about side gigs and side hustles. You'd like to learn about if they haven't been talked about already. We just love to hear what you guys want to know about. And we like to go find people that are doing that and educate people on how to get it started and how to make it successful. So okay. give us feedback. Let us know. We love that stuff. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on our podcast. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you guys are doing. Like I said, I, I, I can't thank you guys enough for having me on and keep up the great work. You're really pushing the envelope forward. And I love people that do that. Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of the Beyond These Clinic Walls podcast. As always, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Beyond These Clinic Walls for all the latest updates and episode releases. Make sure to join the Clinician Transition Group on LinkedIn and Slack to be part of the networking community for like-minded rehab professionals. Questions, comments, concerns, or do you know someone who might make an excellent guest on our next show? Reach out to us at beyondtheseclinicwalls at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.